Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Say aloud with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. As this uh, my healing journey from a couple of surgeries as I've been going through this and and re-exploring how... Uh, we, we understand the love of God, but also the misunderstandings that we have of love, the love of God and how that sort of uh, gets convoluted <laughs> and gets mixed up. There's lots of voices today. There's lots of different traditions. There's lots of uh, different understandings. And uh, I've been exploring all of that deeply and asking God to just... Uh, look into who I am. He gave, gave that call to me five years ago and to this church to look into what we really believe and uh, what's important to us and what there is about beliefs. Beliefs, you know, everybody, it seems like on, uh, if you're on social media, uh, the idea of people using the word of theology, theology is the study of who God is and helps form our beliefs. And so a lot of people talk about theology a lot, and many of them, and this isn't a slam, but aren't educated uh, regarding what theology is and the study of theology from church tradition, from the early church fathers right up to today. And so we banner words around about, and this is what I found, rather than talk as much about theology as we need to talk and explore, what do I believe about God? What's in his word? What do, because that forms who I am. So we've been looking at that, and that's kind of a review of where we've been. It's also about looking at our doctrines, our own traditions. Now, not all traditions are bad. Some traditions are very, very good. And going back to the early church uh, fathers, again, there are rich, deep traditions that have been laid out for generation after generation after generation. And uh, if you've never done it, it's re- really exploring what that is. I've, I did an interesting thing this past week in just uh, uh, looking into uh, going online and doing it, but looking at old prayer books. You know, and for some people, that can be so religious. It's just like, oh, no. But man, I found I, w- I started, uh, in my own time of just being with the Lord, started praying those prayers and they were just like, they gripped my heart. And it was just like, and I knew, which is why we did confession this morning. I knew I was standing there making confession before God. And yes, I was reading the prayer. Well, did that really make you feel? I don't know. Sometimes I can't tell the difference between my feeling and thinking. And then sometimes it's very aware. And or I'm very aware. And uh, it just did something to me. And I, I just, you know... Uh, reading some of the old writers, John the Confessor, 
You know, we think that was all about him confessing sin. It wasn't. John, the confessor, was making testimony to Jesus Christ. It's just very powerful stuff. Well, we've been on this journey, and I spoke in the past couple of weeks about how changing our perspective in order to receive what God has already given us, which is his unconditional love. It's really, really important. This is why I believe it's important. People will not act consistently in ways that are contrary to what they believe about themselves. There have been studies, sociological studies, learning studies regarding this that actually prove it out to be true. You will always act consistently with what you believe. A.W. Tozer said this, what a person believes deep in his heart of what God is like is the most important thing about them. Because we act out of that. We, we do our behaviors out of it. It's a, it's a foundational issue in life because it's actually an identity issue. Now, in the past, I would tell you, I've got teachings that go back 25 years over identity in Christ. It's absolutely amazing. Clear back then, 25 years ago, uh, being a young pastor and moving into ministry, vocational ministry, and and then working with teenagers, which I still love to do, um, that was a central issue. So many teenagers, so many young people, I guarantee you, you went through that. Do you remember trying to find yourself? You know, and you were absolutely sure that you just had to be yourself, and yet you looked just like everybody else that was trying to be themselves. You did, you tried to fit in. So if you were, I'll put this, some of you were, most of you in that age bracket will remember this, when you were trying to be goth and individualistic, but all the other goth kids looked just like goth kids and had the same black outfits you did. And that, that longing for the, for the individualism Here's what I know. Your self-assessment over your identity will affect what you expect in life, in relationships, in your relationship with God. It's interesting. Psychologists even have a term for that that's called self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know if I agree with all of that, but I know this. If you believe that you are fundamentally, let's take an issue that's in Christianity. If you believe you're fundamentally a sinner, your default setting will be to act like a sinner. If you believe that you are, and I know it's a term that's used a lot, if you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, that that's still who you are, you're going to, your behavior is always going to be dealing around your sinfulness. You become sin conscious. To behave any other way, if you look at the understanding of this, would be to act inconsistently with the person you believe yourself to be. Do you you see the pattern there? It's really important. After all, what do you expect a sinner to do? Say it. Sin. 
Sinning is simply the normal behavior for one that's a sinner. That's one of the reasons why so many of us have so often fallen woefully short of the possibility of victorious living through what the Bible actually teaches. This is what it actually teaches. When you become born again, you receive a new nature. You become new. One of the terms that's traditionally been called that is, is not, you know, not just a new being or a new creation, but it's this. I am now in Christ. And Paul and the other writers of the New Testament deeply understood that principle. Paul laid it out this way. We died, that old man died, and a new person was born. That's why the term born again is so vastly and deeply important. In the first chapter of John, when it starts talking about Jesus coming, it's an interesting, it says, it says this, that he came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, that he empowered them to become the sons of God. As they received him, so he's talking about, even then talking about a born again experience. I was looking at John 3 this week as I was doing the learning how to confess different things and understanding what Jesus, I've I've always contemplated it. I don't know how you are with scripture, but in John 3, that's the story of Nicodemus. It's the, you must be born again. But it's interesting, Jesus says this. The born again aspect He's speaking to Nicodemus about where he's come from, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. He said, look, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. Nor can you, then he says, and you cannot enter the kingdom unless you be born again. Nicodemus, like all of us, is going, what? What? Now, I don't know where and what part of the journey Nicodemus got born again, But it says, you don't get to understand the Bible so that you become a believer. When you become a believer, you start understanding the Bible. And then that's also true of us understanding God's love. It's hard for people who haven't been born again to understand God's love. (laughs) It's just, it's almost unfathomable. that's, That's why so many people look at it and scratch They scratch their heads. So once we're born again and we're changed, then that life change indicates something. So once again, going back to what I was saying, if you see yourself as a sinner, people who haven't been born again and see you behaving and acting like a sinner go, that's hypocrisy in the biggest form. You tell me that that you've been changed. And it, it... It clashes. The the understanding of it clashes. Well, I don't don't know how you are, but uh, I don't feel like I'm falling that short anymore. Oh, boy, that's scary to say. Watch him slip and stumble and fall. Well, that's, I still sin. But you know what? In my confession, it's changed so much because now I declare who I am in Christ. I start confessing those things and confession takes on 
a way different form. Is all of this biblical, Lloyd? Oh, you bet. Look at Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I see myself as Lloyd Rendell's blood-bought child of the living God, alive for all eternity, righteous in his standing, pure of thought, kind of motive, energetic about life, everything about me changes. And I start, the more I declare it, the more I receive it, the more I receive it, the more I declare it, and I start growing in God. Growing in my understanding of this great, this unconditional love. So really what we're talking about is a perspective change. That inner relation in which a subject or its parts are mentally viewed. Now I know for so long and for so many people they had, we had this issue, and I spoke about it many times in the past, but the difference between the head knowledge and the heart knowledge and everything else. Listen, you need them both working together. And sometimes that 12 inches between heart and head feels like the Grand Canyon. And sometimes it's so sweetly close they kiss. And, I, and I, my, my feelings come alive. Uh, it often happens in prayer. When I'm speaking to the Lord, and, the t- and I don't know if you've experienced this, but you just start crying and you don't even know why you're crying. That's just the... The thought and the feeling, they kiss one another and it comes out. We leak. We leak good stuff. Another pastor who's in Tennessee, a guy named Chuck Crisco, I know that some of you follow him on Facebook. He, uh, he actually did a quote of another guy on Facebook, but I'm going to read it to you. He said this, many of our theological arguments are about are differing lists of conditions on the unconditional love of God. Now, I understand this well because I, it's the way I used to teach. Lord, have you changed? Well, yes, but not what would you think. I've always believed in the unconditional love of God. It's just for probably 38 years I put conditions on it. I said it was true, And then I would set the conditions by which you could or could not experience that unconditional love. Is that unconditional love? No. If you really took the time, and I know, no, because I've talked to many of you, even in the, the past few weeks in the new year coming on and all that and the desires of the human heart to I don't know some people call it making a resolution or you want to grow I've had that expressed to me so much I want to grow in my knowledge of God I want to grow in who I am as a person it's really good but it's not about your behaviors that you'll enact to do that it's about what you'll do when you go back to your baggage of life and open up that baggage. And then it's not just the things that happen to you. It's not just the circumstances of life. It's what you believe, 
how you feel about things, the way you problem solve them, and especially the way you view God, the way you view yourself, oh, and here's a scary one, how you view others, and what traditions, and even, though you may not be able to identify them, what doctrines you hold to make life survivable. So, questions. What if God really does love you unconditionally? How would it change your life? What if the gospel and grace was more than a salvation experience to help you get started to working on your own recovery program? more yes. What if God, who I said I loved, or you said you loved, and that you said really loves you, really does? So find, find this as we as we grow in our understanding of God, we tend to move away from the gospel. We think we need other things, more things. No, the foundation of the gospel, of God's unending, unconditional love for you, when that becomes a foundation, that foundation stays. It's just like a house. Oh, I think I'll move that wall. I think I'll remodel. I think I'll do that. Well, that's fine. But you're always walking on the foundation. And not only do we walk on it, but we must return to it really on a daily basis over what I believe. Next what if question. What if God really was exactly like Christ portrayed him to be? If Jesus was manifest this morning, if there there was a theophany of Christ right here, that means an appearing. And he was here right now. Would we have any doubt that he's God? What if he looked completely different than what our image is? What if he dressed differently than us? What if he appeared clean-shaven instead of with a beard? Would we recognize him? Would we receive him? Would we understand him? Would we listen to him? Would we know him? We know the disciples on the Emmaus Road had that experience, didn't they? 
after he was risen from the dead. They walked for who knows how many miles till they got to their destination. And it wasn't till he kept explaining the gospel to them. By the time they got to the end of their journey, they're going, what? It's God. I believe Christ, Jesus, and the view that we have of him in the gospels and the understanding of it portrays to us exactly what God is like. Is that scriptural? Sure, it's in Hebrews 1. Let me read it to you. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express, and that word express means exact, the express image of his person. This is where real change happens. Is there anything I can do to gain an understanding of it? Yes. Stop speaking in Christian certitudes. Do you know what I mean by that? We say things that we're certain of and don't have a foundational understanding in our life of it. It's one of the accusations against church and Christians by non-Christians. That we say things that we're adamant about and we're far from them. It's why they say things like the church is known more for what she's against than what she's for. It really happens, real growth happens when we take something as simple as the Lord's Prayer that we had this morning. And I start praying it and believing that that is not just a model prayer, but it's a prayer that Jesus thought was so important that it was given. And now through all the church traditions, it is still confessed. Our Father, who art in heaven. I I do the old King James because that's how I memorize it. Hallowed be thy name. And I start speaking those things out of my being into life, and it comes back to me into life. I start declaring things about God. If you want to grow this year, become a confessor. It changes the pattern. It changes the understanding. It changes who we are, and we move out of this Christian platitudes and Christian certainties. I confess things I do not understand. And they become more of a fabric of who I am than anything else. What? I confess the Trinity. And I do not understand it. Theologically? Oh, I've heard it explained. You probably had teachings explain it. And examples and symbols. And they use an egg. Three and one and all that. Listen, this is beyond us. This is God Almighty. It's a mystery. But when I proclaim the mystery... When I confess it, it somehow starts taking a deep meaning, rolling meaning 
into the born-again part of me that deeply values it. And it changes who I am and my understanding of God. How does it change you? One of the ways is relationship. If he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's three in one, that means they're in constant relationship with each other. Then even confessing our Father, since Father is the Christian name of God, we're not stunned by it anymore because we're so familiar with it. Prior to the new covenant, God was not referred to as Father. In all other religions, maybe a couple of new age ones, I don't know, I don't go there. Is God referred to as Father? Matter of fact, when I was doing the Our Father, I changed it to My Father. And uh, something happened in me all week. I just kept going, My Father, My Father, personal, possessive pronoun, My Abba, My Daddy, My Da. What does that do for you? Positions me to receive God's unconditional love. How many of you guys are fathers? How much do you love your kids? Okay. Multiply that times infinity. That's how much God loves us. I'm not beyond the scope of God. If you read the psalmist and start confessing that, he says says this, God, I can't even number all the thoughts that you think about me. They're more than all the sand on all the seashore on the planet. I had a student a long time ago who did a teaching, and he brought in a mason jar, a quart jar, of that fine white sand from a beach down in Mexico, that really fine stuff. And he said that it was, it's estimated that there are over 7 million grains of sand in a quart jar. One quart, how many quart jars are on the earth? More than all the sand. God's thinking about you. How does he do that? I don't know. It's beyond my thoughts. But when I confess it, something begins to change inside of Lloyd. Something begins to see me as loved of God. Precious. Purchased. The old pattern with confession, because I want you to get a different perspective on confession. My old pattern, maybe it wasn't yours, maybe you know this stuff and you are, have a master's to my first grade education with this. <laughs> but my old pattern was I was taught to confess my wrong, my failure, my inadequacy, my sinfulness. Now, before you get all freaked out about whether Lloyd's going to tell you you don't have to confess sin, I don't believe that at all. I think confession of sin is not only good, but necessary in the life of a believer. 
So I'm not telling you not to confess sin, but I will say this. Confession of sin in the new covenant is not about your eternal security, your standing, your relationship with God. It's about your conscience and your understanding of God's unconditional love for you. Where did you get there? From what scripture says. Let's go through it because there's a lot, there's misunderstanding. We'll just take a minute and explore this and then we won't go any further with this today. But I really want you to see it, how you can change your perspective and then your position, your very thoughts, your very understanding of God's unconditional love. Because the other way, the confession of your wrong identity always sets up conditions on God's unconditional love. It will always be about your behavior or about your accomplishment mostly about the lack thereof your performance Hebrews 8:10 says this for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord so he's speaking of the new covenant that Jesus will bring I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Doesn't say they will remember no more. What does he say? I will remember them no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. In Hebrews 10, he says it this way in verse 16. This is how important it was to the writer of Hebrews. He actually repeats this whole concept that we're supposed to get. And it's all about God's unconditional love for you. This is the unconditional love and why he can do it is because Jesus became that sin on your behalf. Jesus lived a righteous life, but took your sin into him. In, in, in what Athanasius, one of the church fathers from the second century, he's the first one that termed this term. I've used it a lot, but I didn't know it actually came from him until recently. He called it the great exchange. This wonderful? Some monk <laughs> sitting all alone, he goes, I've exchanged, I've received life for death. So this way he says it in Hebrews 10. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So why do we confess sins then? Well, Hebrews 10, later, if you just, I'm going to skip a few verses for you for the sake of time. In verse 22, he says this, Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I know the God of I believe in. I believe in this unconditional love. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed in pure water. Here's what I found. 
and I, I'm going to put myself on the operating table in front of you guys. So bear with me. Don't imagine me in one of those hospital gowns. I've had enough of that for the past six weeks. Since that baby up, how they wore kilts in Scotland, I'll never know. So I'm not going <clears> to <throat> bear myself before you, but I want to use myself as an example. When I've sinned, when I've done or said something wrong, most of it's I said something wrong. Here's what happens. It happens in each one of us. When I do it, I feel guilty. Guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt is your conscience telling yourself, you did that one right. That was really off. That was really off. Now, shame about that guilt is something very different. We're not going to go into, I can go into detail. So you have to go to God and confess that and get it right, don't you? No, remember, it's washed, right? It's gone. He says, I will remember it no more. Who's remembering it? By the way, you also have a very real enemy. And when you mess up in sin, guess what he does? Call the police, call the police. He did it again. Look, same one he did last week. And there becomes an accusation against me. I I hear it inside of me. So Hebrews 4 says this, that I can run to a great throne of grace, to a God who remembers it not. Well, then what do you say to him? Say, Lord Jesus, okay, this is the me laying there part, and you guys get to watch it. You pray however the Lord leads you, Lord Jesus, I did something again totally outside of my identity. It's not who I am. I don't understand the mystery of how that gets in there and how I can be good one minute and blow it the next. But I know that you've forgiven me and you've taken out of my life. Would you now cleanse and wash my conscience from it? Because I'm sorry. I, I never intended it, but it doesn't matter what my intentions are. I just, I hurt somebody. And I want that washed off of me. I want that sense of renewed cleansing to come on me again. And I thank you that you did that for me. And I can receive it over and over and over and over again. You know what always happens out of it? I start praising him. You know, not what you think. Praise you, Jesus. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You did an incredible thing when you saved me. I can walk in newness of life and I don't have to be hindered by that which you did. And then I do one other thing. Now strengthen me according to your spirit that lives in me and bring help to me. It's not wrong to ask God for help. The Holy Spirit's called the... So he helps us in those weak areas. But you see, too many of us, and I'll close with this and we can have the team come up can't get all the way through this because I actually want to get next week, come back and I want to talk about the cross, gazing at the cross because that's really what we're talking about. But most of us have a tradition and it's all based around one scripture that we were taught things out of. 1 John 1.9 
You know that one? Has to do with confession, yes? And it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that conditional? No. First of all, the if, the preposition if there is not a conditional if. It's a conclusive if. In the original language, it's not a question, it's a statement. Saying it to you, how do you know that? By the context of what it's written. Because if it was a condition, it would say, if you confess your sins, then God in his mercy. It would be an if, then. If, then. That's condition. Look at what this does. If we confess our sins, he is. Where does it go? Where does it go? Right to the very character and nature of God in his unconditional love. It displays who he is. I am. Goes directly to who God is in your life. It's not conditional. He's saying this. Like when you come and you talk to me about these things. I washed you. I'll wash your thoughts of it. I'll clean you up again and again and again. Because that's my unconditional love for you. I will never say, nope, that was time 9,964. You have used them up for the year. I'm sorry, you are stuck. Now you just sit in that puke, young man, and you learn to wear it. Yes, you'll stink around other people, but it'll do you some good. You'll really learn it if you stink. That's not God. That's not Jesus' display of who the Father is. Even as hard as he was on the Pharisees, listen, they had a way back. If one Pharisee had bowed the knee to Christ, and they did, there was forgiveness there. Think of all the times of patterns in the gospel where somebody got caught in sin. Did he ever turn one away? Ever once? Don't let sin be the issue in your life. But if you sin, get the cleansing so it doesn't stay an issue in your life. But when, when I turn after that confession and start redeclaring my sonship, who I am in Christ, that's what's true of Him is true of me. And as He is, so am I in this world. When I start taking the handle of what he's said about me, and I use that, listen, my shortcomings do not compare to that. Every one of my failures do not compare to the promises that God has declared over who I am, over who you are. Not one, they can't even, it's not even a comparison. I had a friend who one time was confessing to the Lord about his sins. This happened a long time ago. And the Lord showed him this huge, beautiful, blank canvas. It's a portrait before him. And he said, this is your life. And he said, uh, what about my sin? That was a spot down in the corner. I took care of that. It was only one little spot. It's just a speck. 
I took care of that. It's gone. Then he invited him to do something. He said, now paint. He didn't say, I'm going to paint it. He said, now paint. With that understanding, now paint the canvas of your life. What will you confess? So I laid on the operating table naked before you. Now let me show you some of the painting. Lloyd is gracious and kind. Lloyd is sweet for his loved ones to be around. Lloyd thinks good and not evil of others. Lloyd respects boundaries and harmony. Lloyd loves well because Christ dwells in him. Lloyd is the righteousness of Christ on the earth. Lloyd speaks good things and they come to pass. Lloyd believes in Christ and the Christ in others. Lloyd thinks no evil. Lloyd doesn't impute. Lloyd blesses. Can you confess? Can you confess what God says of you? You want to grow in God? Are you tired of the grace message, are you? I've heard a few comments like that. <laughs> I just laugh. Oh, wave upon wave upon wave of the grace of God. Washing me, cleansing me, and keeping me whole. And letting me see like I've never seen before. Not only myself, but then seeing others, even those who haven't yet come, I can look at them and go, oh, Christ loves you. Christ is beckoning you. Christ is longing for you today. Receive him as your Savior. You have a message and you have a canvas. Would you stand with me? you believe you're good? I am. I'm a saint kept by grace. No longer a sinner saved by grace. That happened. I'm a saint kept by grace. The unmerited favor of God washing over me all and over again. Just try it this week. Confess it and then watch how your language towards others, especially unbelievers, changes. By the way, I have a challenge for you, New Day, in February. To invite someone else to come to church with you. Oh, people don't like to go to church. I, I just had this from the Lord this morning, so I'm going to speak it out. Invite a co-worker. Invite somebody in your neighborhood. What's the worst thing that can happen? They go, no, I don't go to church. Okay. That's fine. You see, a couple of us in here are fishermen. But if you don't ever pick up the rod and reel and cast it out there, yeah, but it's just not who I am. Start confessing who you are. 
you'll see a change. You see a difference. You see a different way of doing it. Oh, that's still up there. Sing us a song. Okay. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. earth. Thou art exalted far above
offering instead of releasing you with the normal blessing that I give, would you make confession with me as a form of blessing yourself as you leave? Would you say together with me, Father God, I present myself to you today according to your word and by your mercy as an acceptable, holy, living person that you love. You have chosen in your love to forgive me and completely and totally for all time. I confess and receive that your thoughts and views of me today are kind, accepting, generous, and joyous. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Unto you. Would you love each other as you go? Take a minute. God bless you.